You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Has anybody in here seen Redeeming Love, the movie? I got one person who's seen it. All right, Sharon, so you're the, you're the expert. That's awesome. Um, anybody else, does any, anybody in here know that it's in playing in theaters right now? That you, yeah. <laughs> you read the book? Who's, who's read the book? Who's read the book? Oh, so quite a few people. Oh, this is great. This is good. Um, in a spirit of transparency, I need you to know that when we chose the title for this series of messages, Redeeming Loss, I had never heard of the book or the movie. (laughs) We look more hip and trendy and plugged in than we actually are right now. Um, But I want to say just a a little bit about Redeeming Love because it really sounds like it's a really good story. And um, it's it's set in the 1800s. The main character is a woman who has had a tragic life, sold into prostitution as a child. Somehow she survived into adulthood but not without pain. She hates herself, hates men, trusts nobody. Then she meets this man, Michael, who uh, defies all the stereotypes. He's kind to her. He believes in her, even wants to marry her. And she's so taken by this contrast in humanity that she actually gives herself to the storybook option. But eventually she runs, like people will do, because she feels like she's not worthy. And the rest of the story is Michael's quest to find her and uh, about her own quest to understand the power of redemptive love. If the story sounds familiar to you, it's because it is familiar to you. It's the story of Hosea, the prophet in the Old Testament. Um, it's it's, It's really the story of the whole Bible and the story of a God who has come after every one of us with a desire to redeem all that we've lost in the world and to show us his redemptive love. And that is very much the story behind the series that we start today, Redeeming Loss. So while our choice of a title was a complete coincidence, if you believe in such things, the the connection is definitely there. Our lives have been upended by a a once-in-a-century global crisis, and that villain has stolen our collective joy. Our emotions are stuck in some kind of groundhog day. Do you feel this? Like, you know, we keep cycling through the the, um, stages of grief over and over, shock and denial, pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, depression and loneliness that cause us to deconstruct everything we thought we believed and could depend on. And then, and then when the infection starts to ease up, we, we get optimistic, and we, you know, we, we, we begin to reconstruct, and then finally, there's a little glimmer of hope, and then, wham, another wave, and the cycle starts again. After two years of listening to our losses and frustrations, of trying to make sense of COVID pain and COVID loss and COVID irritation, we, we start to feel like Debbie Downers if we even bring it up, right? But... I'm convinced that ignoring it is the worst option. Ignoring the cycles of pain, disappointment, things we can't control, as they flare up, it only leaves it to pop out sideways in some other time that's usually going to be really inappropriate, you know? (laughs) So let's just admit this morning that we've all lost something. Can we admit that? 
We have all lost in this season. We've all lost, some of us have lost health. We've lost any sense that we've got control over our health. We've lost meaning as this wears on. We've lost life as we knew it. Some have lost relationships, people we love dearly that we're just completely gone, out of touch with. And we've, we've, we've lost dreams, some of us. It's curious to me that fresh trauma will reach back and grab hold of old pain. And so for many of us, the losses we brought into this only feel bigger now. Does that sound familiar to you guys? So how do we redeem all that loss? That's what we'll be talking about this month. And I hope this series will help you acknowledge your losses, not wallow in them, we're, we're past that, but acknowledge them, see them for what they are, so that when we emerge from all this and... Lord Jesus, may we be emerging from all this soon. <laughs> we will emerge, uh, uh, we'll, we'll emerge without all the baggage and with new faith and new hope and new vision for what can be. So for the series, Ecclesiastes is our guide. The book of Ecclesiastes, this is an Old Testament book, walks us through all our questions and admits all the inconsistencies of life. And it also walks us, maybe not gently, Ecclesiastes is not a gentle book, but it walks us honestly through the stages of grief so we can arrive finally at the one thing that makes life worth living. When you read the whole book, Ecclesiastes, in one sitting, you get a sense of the, the pattern. It's, there's a pattern, sort of like, here's something that might work. Oh, no, it actually won't work at all. And that kind of shows up over and over again in the book. Oh, wait, wealth might work. No, nope, wealth won't work at all. Hey, health might work. No, health won't work at all. Hey, wisdom might work. No, wisdom won't help at all. He's trying to find meaning over and over, trying to find meaning. But he discovers it's all just vapor and smoke. Life is temporary or fleeting. It's a sort of paradox. It seems on some days rich and full of substance, but then something like COVID slams into us and we're aware of how unstable life is. It's like chasing after the wind, he says. Just to get a, 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 a taste of it, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You need your Bible, something to write with and something to write on. It's the best way to engage the message so if you'll get your Bibles out and find Ecclesiastes, to find it, you just find Psalms. Psalms is about halfway through your Bible. Flip to the end of Psalms, you'll, you'll find Proverbs. Flip to the end of Proverbs, and there's Ecclesiastes. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon together make what we call the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. So those three are kind of three different approaches to talking about life. And Ecclesiastes sits right in the middle, and it starts with this, the words of the teacher, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jer in Jerusalem. The teacher, the, the Greek is Kohelet. Um, say that together, Kohelet. Kohelet, it's a fun word to say, isn't it? Kohelet. I like that word. Um, the, the teacher is, we, is, we presume to be Solomon, but he talks in, in third person in this, in this, almost like he's having a conversation with himself. So the words of the teacher, son of David, king in, in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. The, the Greek for meaningless is hevel. Say hevel. Hevel. Isn't that great? One day you'll be able to say to somebody, what the hevel? Oh, that'd be great. 
And when they think you're being some kind of irreverent, you can say, no, no, no. I'm saying, where is the meaning in life? Jeez, get your head out of the gutter. <laughs> hevel, hevel, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and go, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. So you get the sense, even in this opening passage, that there's a cycle here that he notices. It's like we can't get out of this cycle. We're like hamsters on a wheel. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. I need an amen. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I want you to underline that you've heard that phrase before there's the source of it right there there's nothing new under the sun is there anything of which one can say and this is verse 10 and I want you to underline all of verse 10 we're going to come back to it is there anything of which one can say look this is something new it was here already long ago it was here before our time no one remembers the former generations even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them so this is the commentary of a man who has had access to every possible pathway to, to happiness. He has seen, he has accessed the world of sex and pleasure, the world of career and achievements, the world of materialism and possessions. He was honored and respected and had all the friends and associates a man could possibly want. And of all of it, he said, hevel, meaningless. All of it left him Empty, working hard won't make life worth it. Wealth won't make life worth it. Pleasure won't make life worth it. Because all those things are powerless against death. Death is the great equalizer. Death takes all our best efforts and makes them hevel, hevel. All of it is nothing more than an escape from reality. A chasing after the wind, the teacher says. I've tried it all. I've done more than anyone, I know as much as anyone, and for all my wisdom, I've discovered that nothing works, or at least nothing under the sun. Talk about a Debbie Downer. He is not a very encouraging guy. Not a very encouraging guy. But, he's gonna, but listen, our teacher's not really saying that we are without hope. That's not what he's saying, really, not really. He's saying that life is not God. You should write that down. Life is not God. And if you wanted to put a heading over the entire book of Ecclesiastes, that's it. Life is not God. And oh, what a relevant re lesson for us right now as we focus so much on physical health and physical safety. It's been so interesting. And I'm, I'm going to talk about, you know, relevant things right now, but I just, there's a point to this, okay? It's just been so interesting to watch how different countries deal with COVID, China has a zero COVID policy. I mean, that's the name of their policy, a zero COVID policy, complete with mandated masks and vaccines, curfews, and a culture of shame around the disease, even to this day. Nothing has changed. Any infraction is punished severely. 
China has the lowest death rate in the world right now, but nobody's living a real life, and the country has not developed a natural immunity, and that's become a concern for the global community because eventually when it all comes off, they'll get what we've gotten. On the other end of the spectrum is all of Africa. Most African countries have handled the pandemic mirror opposite of China. And yet some studies indicate that some African countries may have already reached endemic stage. What we are all trying to get to, that stage when so many people have had it that the coronavirus becomes more like a seasonal cold or a seasonal flu. And then there's us in the U.S., you know, with our tug and pull of political positions around masking and vaccine, trying to make our mental way from keeping everybody, uh, keeping everybody, you know, presenting all, preventing all infection to a more realistic goal of just preventing death. What we're discovering is that health does not equal wholeness, Right? Physical health does not equal wholeness. That mental health of kids matters too. That addiction and suicide rates matter too. That in-person gatherings also have value. That the ability to worship matters to the health of a nation. And for us, this sounds like old news because this is one of my soapboxes. But I, I recently heard from a leader in another United Methodist annual conference that as of today, 40% of their congregations are still not meeting. Two years of no worship. And I'm wondering, what must that sound like to a Chinese believer who is sitting in an attic right now? Tish Harrison Warren has written an, an incredibly, uh, just a, an eloquent article for a national paper about the need for worship. You should Google Tish Harrison Warren and, uh, and worship. She wrote, we as a society have had to ask whether in-person church attendance is more like going to a restaurant or more like elementary school education, whether it's something that is a nice perk in life or something that is indispensable. And she says this, in Christian theology and practice, Physically gathering as a church should be seen as essential and irreplaceable. And again, I get that this is sort of my thing, but it's a perfect example that the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to make, that life is not God, that health does not equal wholeness, and this is big, that try as we might, we cannot fix it all. And the key word is try. If the pandemic story has taught us anything, it has taught, that, taught us that all our best efforts will fall short. We won't convince everyone of our rightness, whatever we think our rightness is. <laughs> we can't keep everyone safe, whatever our methods, now or ever. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, this is a good lesson to learn. And sooner is better because, in fact, not just in pandemic world, but in any world, we will fall short. We can't fix it all. We need to say that together. We can't fix it all. Say it again. We can't fix it all. I want you to turn to someone and say, I can't fix it. Turn to somebody and say, I can't fix it. <laughs> I see. 
You probably need to have a 12-step meeting right now. (laughs) We can't fix it. So much of the message of Ecclesiastes is this. The life is full of things that are out of our control. So maybe the first thing you need to do this morning is give yourself a break. You can't feed all the hungry people, keep all the people healthy, do all the things exactly right. Let me say that again. We cannot do all the things exactly right. It's okay. Does that come as a relief to anybody in here? God knows you want justice for every person, but it might not happen in your lifetime or in the ways you're expecting. God knows you want all the people safe, all the children happy, all the conflicts settled, like like Lake Wobegon. Anybody here remember Lake Wobegon? Where all the children are happy, all the the, the, uh, adults are good looking, and I don't remember the rest of it. It's just perfect weather all the time, something like that. The question is, do you believe yet that none of that is yours to control. None of it. Whether it happens or not is not the issue. None of it is yours to control. So what are we to do? Well, we begin by honestly, openly grieving our losses. This life we wanted, the opportunities we missed, the loss of health or friendship, even our losses that we've, that we've experienced in the last two years, we have to honestly, openly grieve them. What things do you need to look at and say, I thought I could, but it turns out I can't. It seems to me that it's not until we confess our losses and grieve them that God can begin to redeem them. And that That, friends, listen, maybe more than anything, that's what the cross is about. The cross holds our grief. All the mistakes we've made and all the dead-end roads we've driven down, all the get-rich-quick schemes we've chased after, all those gods we've bowed to who gave us nothing in return. The cross holds, holds all those times We were bored and looking for love in all the wrong places, desperate for something to fill us because our fake lives were not satisfying. Jesus took all that, all those mistakes, all those dead-end roads, all those losses, and he held them for us, carried them for us, gave his own life under that load, in fact, so that maybe we get it, that there is more to this life than just living it. Following Jesus means following that truth, that the cross holds your grief and invites you into life. Let me say that again. Following Jesus means following the truth, that the cross holds your grief and invites you into life. The writer of Ecclesiastes ends the whole book, spoiler alert, with this one line, fear God and keep his commandments. That's the trick, he says. That's life according to the Bible, which is to say we have to learn how to recognize all that is not God and give yourself to the one who is. What he's saying is is life is not God, but God is life to us. 
after all your tr other tries have failed, are you willing to trust the God who is life? So I need to apologize in advance to the folks who are part of recovery here at Mosaic because I'm about to repeat something I said Tuesday night. We were talking about step two. In recovery world, we kind of, the steps usually follow the months, and this is February, so step two, February, which says we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's step two. We came to believe that, that is a big word in this step, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So step two is really about coming to a realization. It's a revelation that some of the things you're doing or have done or some of the patterns you've, you're used to are, are actually insane. <laughs> that may be the first time anybody's told you that. Some of the stuff you're doing is insane. But hey, friends, some of the stuff you're doing is insane. Which is to say it's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not loving or productive. In the 12-step in the process, we say we came to, and sometimes the coming to comes way before we come to believe. And that's what makes step two kind of an interesting step because it gives us a minute to actually say, I may not be ready to surrender my everything yet, but I do actually have to say right now, I get it that I am not God. I am not going to be the one to make this work. I need to believe that a, high, a power higher than myself is going to restore me to sanity. I can't do it. And I'd never actually realized just how important this intermediate step is for recovery, how informative it is to the journey, especially, especially for those of us who have known Jesus longer than we haven't known him. Because see, here's the thing. Culture, the, kind of the Christian culture thing is as soon as you've got an issue, you just bring it to God and you immediately handed him all our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and, and, and rushed straight to the solution. And we, we, we missed the red flags along the way. The flags warning us that we are running to Jesus when we haven't actually made peace with or, with or come to terms with, haven't yet grieved our losses, haven't yet grieved the fact that we are actually powerless over our own circumstances, that we might be acting in insane ways over and over again, and that we do actually need a power greater than ourselves to, uh, to take over, and, listen to this closely, that we don't actually still believe there is no other power outside ourselves we can trust to hand it over us over to. Does that make sense? You hear what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that this idea we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It's asking me to stop and believe and, and, and take stock of, consider what I am actually willing to believe. What am I actually willing to believe? Maybe I won't give myself to it right this moment, but I actually have to figure out what do I actually really believe? In other words, there's a mental step before I cry out to Jesus where I have to stop and ask, not only is there a God out there who loves me, but also am I willing to believe this God can help? Am I willing to release my doubts and controlish internal agendas and actually believe that something beyond myself is going to get me where I cannot take myself? And if I can't go there, I don't need to pray. 
even need to pray. If I don't actually believe when I say amen that God can do for me what I cannot do for myself. So here's an example from uh, kind of a, a, I don't know, here's an example. Two, two weeks ago, I drove to Wilmore, Kentucky. By the time I crossed the Tennessee line, it was snowy, and by the time I got off I-75, one of those back roads between 75 and Wilmore, I know it's surprising that Wilmore's not on the interstate. Um, it was dark, it was freezing cold, icy. I am pretty sure I drove down miles of black ice on a barely two-lane road, and I had to keep going because it was dark, and there's nowhere to pull off on those roads. So I had no option but keep driving, the good news is I made it to Wilmore that night, and I knew getting home would be just as weird because of coming down a mountain instead of going up one, um, but you know what? I didn't have to worry that, about that for a few days because I was going to be there for five days. So I could sit in little bitty Wilmore where you can walk everywhere and pretend like my problems were gone, and there's a message all by itself. How often do we get past the crisis, Right? <laughs> And then just, okay, everything's fine. And that's where the cycle, over and over again. That's, that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. It's just over and over and over, we do the same things. But on Wednesday, I drove into Lexington for lunch. And somewhere in Lexington, my car began to overheat. So now we're talking about back roads and ice and a messed up car. And it, it was still running, kind of, Feel, felt like it was running fine to me, but multiple lights were coming on. Idiot lights, my dad used to call them. Only idiots let their car get so bad that a light has to tell them they got a problem. <laughs> Which is another message all by itself, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> some of you have some, some angelic force with a bopper just banging your head back and forth going, how much more are we going to have to watch you be in pain before you get it? So now I'm in Lexington, a good half hour from Wilmore, where I need to speak in about four hours, and I have no contacts for a mechanic, and I, now I've only got two days before I'm supposed to drive back down the hill so I can be here to preach on Sunday morning. As they say, I know, brother, where art thou? Dang, we're in a tight spot. So I limp my car back to Wilmore. I had to stop every five minutes or so to let it cool back down. <laughs> but I get all the way back to Wilmore, and I found a saint named Mark, Mark the mechanic, who agreed to work it in. About three hours later, he called me, and he told me all the things that were wrong with my car. It was not one problem. There were several and I had, had no idea. So let him who has ears to hear, <laughs> let him hear. <laughs> the idiot light <laughs> has a list behind it. So now I'm standing in front of someone who has the power to fix my car. Mark the mechanic. And I know I don't have that power myself. What I do know is I can't get that back down the mountain, back to Augusta without somebody's help beyond myself. I know that. I'm there. I am there. I realize I cannot get there by myself. But I have to decide if I'm going to trust that this might be the guy who can do it for me. It's going to cost me a lot more than I expected. Um, he actually he said to me, he said, you know what? After he, after he gave me the list of things that was wrong, he said, he said, you can come get your car now and I won't charge you a thing. Or 
I can fix the stuff that seems most immediately necessary, and you can get your car back to Augusta and let your regular mechanic look at the rest of it. Or I can fix everything for you. Before you have to go home, I can fix everything for you. It's going to cost you $1,000. So it's going to cost me a lot more than I expected to spend. Not more than I had, just more than I wanted to spend. And so now I had to decide right there. It's going to cost me either way, right? If I walk away, it's going to cost. If I, if I hand over the keys to Mark the mechanic, it's going to cost. So here's what I have to decide. Do I believe that something beyond my own mechanic skills is going to be the thing that restores me to sanity? Yes. Yes, I believe that. <laughs> I'd actually changed out my, my um, gas cap because I thought that was the whole problem. Gas cap is not the problem, people. <laughs> Can I believe that a power I don't know, in this case, Mark the mechanic, with whom I have no prior history, can I believe it is possible to believe that I can believe in, uh, uh, I I I that I can give in, that I can admit I can't fix it, that I need help, that he might actually be the help I need, that Mark the mechanic can restore my car to sanity. Can I believe that? So that's what step two in recovery, you just got a little mini lesson in recovery circles there. That's what step two in recovery asks us to believe. It, it's, it's asking us to say, do you see your situation right now? I mean, do you really see your situation? Do you actually see that you are in over your head, that you're trying to fix things you cannot fix? That it will require you to let go of understanding that right now, even though you think you have other options, <laughs> You don't have other options. Do you see that your situation is going to cost you either way, whether you lean in or lean out, and that the greater cost may actually be leaning out? And that this God, this God that's standing in front of you, Jesus, the mechanic of your life, well, you may not really have ever experienced him in this way before, but you've got an option you either lean in and you trust Jesus with the things you simply cannot fix yourself or you lean out and you take your chances and the cycle goes and the cycle goes and the cycle goes. Maybe you're never going to get down the mountain that you're on right now without somebody helping you get there and admitting it may eventually lead you to believing that you're only good option is to surrender to God. It's your only good option. And do you see that you may need to come back to this place more than once? Over and over, in fact. Every time you find yourself on a mountain with a bum ride and a temptation to act in some insane way. By the way, because several people asked me after the first service, I got my car fixed by Mike the mechanic and it's running great. <laughs> what, who do I say? Mike. Mike, Mike, Mark. I don't even know the guy. I just know that he <laughs> fixed my car. <laughs> you will need to come to this place before you pray any prayer of surrender. You will need to come to the place before you pray. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
You need to come to the place before you pray any prayer of surrender where you take stock of your insides so you can ask yourself, do I really even believe I need someone beyond myself to help me with my, listen to me, with my life as it is, not as I would have it? Am I willing to pay the price and hand over my will? Because there's no point praying if you don't believe that you will need to hand everything over. The keys, the car, the money, everything. That's really what Ecclesiastes is asking us to decide. Do we actually believe we have come to the end of our options and that our only option for life is not your health, it's not your wisdom, it's not your friendships, your connections, it's not your stuff. Life is not God. God is life. So where are you finding your life? Can you let go of the God, that lie that life is God and surrender to the truth that God is life? I want to ask you to stand, if you will. Remember, remember you, I asked you to underline verse 10. <laughs> he says this in verse 10. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? And, and in the scripture, that's the complete quote. Is there anything, look, here's something new. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? And then he answers himself. Nope, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. But when I read this one verse, and I filter it through the New Testament, it's all the question. Is there anything of which we can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And the answer is yes. The ancient of days was here long before you got on this earth. And the ancient of days will be here long after you're gone. But as ancient as the ancient of days is, <laughs> he is always new. He is always new. He is the one who renews your life. He is the one who renews the um, youth, Isaiah says, renews our youth. He is the one who causes us every day to wake up, eyes wide open to where he is working. He is the one who helps us to see everything as if it is made new. He is the answer to the relentless cycle of grief and disappointment that we, that we find on this earth. Jesus is always new. He is always life to us. He is always good. He is your Mark the Mechanic. So my question for you is, what do you need to lay on the altar this morning? I'm, I'm asking you just close your eyes, bow your heads right now. 
And I want to ask some of you, some of you who can come and kneel here, come and kneel on behalf of the whole. Some of you just come, get on your knees and begin to pray. And let's, let's turn this place into a house of prayer. Come on, folks. Turn this place into a house of prayer. What is it? What is it? What is it that you need to lay on the altar right now? You need to grieve it. You need to grieve it. You need to grieve it so that you can begin to see this life as it is, not as you would have it. What unhealthy expectations do you have? What, what are you holding on to? What do you need to thresh out? That's the song we're about to sing. We're talking about a threshing floor. The, what do you need to thresh out? Separating the unholy expectations from the reality you've got. Separating out the grief and loss from the hope. Separating out the lies from the truth. What do you need? Separating out the doubt from the faith. What do you need to thresh out right now in this moment, in this time of prayer? What do you need to thresh out so that you can be made whole? So that your thought, your faith can be a complete sentence. I believe. Not I believe if, but I believe. What is it? Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.